Thank you for joining us for this week's broadcast of A Word from the Lord. Today is part one in the teaching series, Giving Thanks. Today's special feature comes from Being in Christ, part four. Here now is our speaker and teacher for A Word from the Lord, the Archbishop, Foley Beach. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now look at what Philippians tells us will happen if we'll take advantage of this tremendous privilege of prayer. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God will set up a guard around your heart and your mind. There's nothing like God's peace. It will guard your heart and your mind. The word guard literally means to be a watcher in advance, to mount guard as a sentinel, to protect. When you and I put matters into God's hands, through the power of the Spirit, He will garrison our hearts. He will guard our hearts with His peace. His peace is not just any peace. His peace passes all human understanding. You and I will never be able to figure it out, but it's there, it's real, And it makes a big difference in life. And it sure beats anxiety. When we're in Christ, we have this incredible privilege to be able to pray. Oh, that you and I would get a handle on this. It would transform our lives. In Hebrews 4, 16, we're told, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need really difficult for you and I in the 21st century to get a handle on the power of this verse. When this was written in the first century, Jesus had come, He died, He rose again and ascended to the Father. But before Jesus, ordinary people did not have access to the throne room of God. Do you remember the the role of the priest in the Old Testament? The people would have to come to the priest and the priest would then present their offering. And usually, especially if it was a sin offering, they'd go behind the veil of the temple into what was called the Holy of Holies, the sanctuary. And the priest would offer up a sacrifice on behalf of the people. It was the priest who was able to commune. But not after Jesus. After Jesus, remember on the cross, the veil was torn. And access to the throne room of God was open to all people of faith. The veil has been taken away and everyone may have access to the throne room of Jesus. In a typical Anglican church, and the way our church will be laid out, usually there's an altar rail right here. And that behind the altar rail is what is called the sanctuary. The rest of it we call the nave. You know, in some churches they call it all the sanctuary. Well, ours is laid laid out like the old Jewish temple was. And behind the altar rail is the sanctuary. And when we come up for communion, in which we're supposed to be communing with the Lord, and we we kneel at the altar rail and we, we put our hands over the altar rail, we're entering in. It's symbolic of being able to commune with Him, to enter in the Holy of Holies, into His throne room. All may enter the Holy of Holies. All may come to God. All may come into His presence. What a privilege for those who are in Christ. We can pray anytime, any place, and any manner. So your challenge this week is when you start to feel anxious, when you start to worry, I want you to catch yourself. 
I want you to be aware of what's going on. Catch yourself. And then in prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present it to God. Now, some of you, if you're like me, I mean, you get in these habits, you're going to have to present it again and present it again until you finally teach yourself to be anxious for nothing, to not worry about anything, but in everything with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, to present your request to the Lord. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, after hearing the epistle this morning, I don't know if we need a sermon. Those are some very strong words. Uh, this morning is the first of a two-part series on giving thanks. On giving thanks. Giving thanks is something no believer should ever be, have to be told to do. If we understand the depths of our human depravity and the eternal and current alienation that we have apart from Jesus Christ, we would have a thankful heart. If we understood truly the price that Jesus paid for our salvation with his death upon the cross, the suffering, the pain, the alienation from God his Father, the death, we would have a thankful spirit. If we understood clearly all that God has done for us throughout all of our lifetime, we would not hesitate to get out of bed in the morning with a thankful attitude. But we're human. We still sin. We doubt. We still hurt. We're still selfish. And we're forgetful. So God has to remind us to give thanks. I want to invite you to open in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. If you have the church Bible, it's on page 1841. If you don't, you've been through our discipleship process and you know how to, you've memorized the books of the New Testament and you know how to find it, right? 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. In this letter to the Thessalonian church, the Apostle Paul exhorts these early Christians with instructions on how to live a godly life while they're waiting for the return of Jesus. And he concludes his letter with a series of exhortations about their common life. And here we see a triplet of commands, which he says are God's will. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So let's look at these and see how they might help us to give thanks, or to develop and cultivate a thankful attitude. First we see, he says, be joyful always. The RSV and the ESV translate this, rejoice always. The message translates this, be cheerful no matter what. Joy is a hallmark of all of Paul's writings. The, the, the letter to the Philippians, its theme is joy. And it talks about being joyful regardless of our circumstances or the people in our life or the things that tend to engross us or worry that so encapsulates us. 
Romans 4.17, he writes to the Romans, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. To the Galatians, he wrote in 5.22, The fruit of the Spirit is love. What's the next one? Joy. But we see this has always been true for the people of God. In Psalm 95, what we call the Vanity. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. In Psalm 100, which we call the Jubilate, shout for joy, all the earth. And what Paul is saying here is that the believer should always be joyful, especially in worship. But you say, well, you don't know what I've been through. You just won't believe what so-and-so did to me. Or I'm feeling depressed and awful. Well, I think Philippians 4.4 explains what Paul's meaning here. Philippians 4.4, he writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Paul is not exhorting those early Christians and us to rejoice because of our circumstances, but to rejoice in the Lord. I rejoice in the Lord always. I sing for joy to the Lord. I shout for joy to the Lord. Leon Morris reminds us that these early Christians had a hard and difficult life. They were under persecution for their faith. They often were in poverty, and they had to work physically hard for their living. He says this, they thought more of their Lord than their difficulties, more of their spiritual riches in Christ than their poverty on earth, and more of their glorious future than their unhappy past. Paul is exhorting us to rejoice in the Lord always. And when we are in the Lord, in communion with Him and in communion with the Holy Spirit, there is a joy which comes no matter what our circumstances are. I know that we all know people, and some of us ourselves have gone through horrendous circumstances. And you ask, how can I rejoice in the Lord? I just can't. Well, you're right, you can't. But if you stay in the Lord, eventually his joy will return and you will rejoice in the Lord. I'm reminded of Psalm David, which David had written for the dedication of the temple. He writes this in Psalm 30, verse 4, sing to the Lord, you saints of his, praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. I'm not suggesting that we make trivial people's pain and suffering, or even our own. But the exhortation is to rejoice always. And if we will just keep our eyes on Jesus, we'll eventually be able to do that. This brings us to the next verse, verse 17. He writes, pray continually. Pray continually. When I learned this verse, I learned it in the New American Standard Version, which says, pray without ceasing. This was the essence of the teaching that the disciples received from Jesus when they said, teach us how to pray in Luke chapter 18. He told his disciples that they should always pray and never give up. 
And then he shared that parable. You may remember the, the parable of the persistent widow who keeps knocking on the unjust judge's door. Pray continually. Always be in prayer. Have an attitude of prayer. Remember the presence of God with you. Talk to him about everything. Pray without ceasing. The ESV Study Bible comments on this verse with saying the following, pray without ceasing suggests a mental attitude of prayerfulness, continual personal fellowship with God, and consciousness of being in his presence throughout the day. Pray continually. Pray without ceasing. I'm convinced that if anyone heard my thoughts during the day as I try to live this out, they'd think I was absolutely crazy. I'm thinking things like, well, Lord, what about this? Any wisdom here? Wow, what a great job you did on that tree. It's beautiful. What should I do now? Lord, do I have time to get this done? Bring healing to this person. Lord, why did that person just cut me off? Lord, Lord, hold my tongue. You know, continual prayer. I mean, if, if you're saying it out loud, someone really would think you're crazy. Pray without ceasing. Henry Nowen writes about one of the Desert Fathers discouraging us from using too many words in talking to God. Abba Marcarius was asked, how should one pray? The old man said, there's no need to, at all to make long discourses. It's enough to stretch out one's hand and say, Lord, as you will and as you know, have mercy. And if the conflict grows fiercer, just say, Lord, help. He knows very well what we need, and he shows us his mercy. I call them arrow prayers, just simple little prayers straight to the Father. And sometimes all you can do and all you need to do is just call out his name, Jesus, Jesus. Now one goes on to write about unceasing prayer becoming a part of you, literally a part of you. That you do it so much that it continues within you while you're doing other things. Hear his words. The prayer continues to pray within me even while I'm talking to others or concentrating on manual work. The prayer has become an active presence of God's Spirit guiding me through life. Praying continually. Praying without ceasing. And then the Apostle Paul goes in the next verse, verse 18 says, give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. Well, you may say, Paul, that's easy for you to say, but you don't know what I'm going through. Or Paul, you just don't know the heartache that I'm feeling. Or Paul, you don't know the suffering that I have to go through every, every day. Or you don't know what a crisis I'm going through in my life right now. Or you don't know that I'm on the edge of losing it all. And Paul, you want me to give thanks? Oh, Paul, and I believe the Lord would say, yes. Yes. First, Paul is not speaking from a vacuum. He's speaking of a lifetime of living life in its difficulty. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he's explaining about some of the difficulties that he's been through as an apostle. And I want to read them to you. He says, this is chapter 11, verse 3. I have worked much harder, 
been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Remember, 40 lashes was deemed to kill a man, so they do 39 lashes across your back. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. That doesn't mean on a boat. That means floating in the water, in the open sea. I've been continually on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, and in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. See, Paul's not speaking in a vacuum when he says, give thanks in everything. Most of us can't fathom that kind of suffering and torture and pressure that he had to go through. He's speaking about giving thanks from a lifetime of doing it. Another thing about this verse is Paul is not exhorting us to be thankful for all circumstances. He's exhorting us to be thankful in all circumstances. As believers, our lives ought to manifest this gratefulness and thankfulness to God. E.J. Pignell writes, he says, the Christian's life is to be an unceasing Eucharist. You know, Eucharist is what we call our communion service. It's from the Greek word Eucharistia, meaning thanksgiving. Our life ought to reflect thanksgiving. And what do we do in the Eucharist? We break bread. Even in the midst of brokenness, we're giving thanks. John Stott writes, we cannot thank God for all circumstances including those which are evil and displeasing to him. But we can and should thank him in all circumstances or whatever happens. If we truly understand the depths of our human depravity and our eternal and current alienation that we have apart from Jesus Christ and what he's done for us, we would have a thankful heart. If we understood truly the price that Jesus has paid for our salvation through his death on the cross, we would have a thankful spirit. And if we understood clearly all that God has done for us throughout our lifetimes, I mean, think about all those close causes, all those times when an angel just pushed somebody out of the way driving down the road. We would not hesitate to get out in the morning, get out of our bed in the morning with a thankful spirit. This is true personally, but it's also true corporately as a fellowship, as a church. You know, we have incredible people in this church. We have incredible worship in this church. And we have a building. So many of our brothers and sisters don't. We see tremendous ministry in and through this place. We see God working in people's lives. We're the cathedral church for the diocese. God is using us. We have so much to be thankful for. I could go on and on. That's corporately, but what about your individual life? Well, third thing here about this verse. 
no matter what our situation or lot in life is, we can always find something to be thankful for. No matter what our situation or lot in life, we can always find something to be thankful for. I mean, we could examine the sovereignty of God and how that intersects with reaping what you've sown in your life and how that intersects with the the will of God. That's not our purpose this morning. No matter what our situation is, there's something that we can find to give thanks for. This week, I received the following text from one of our clergy in the diocese. He writes, I was fussing at God for allowing my car to break down at DeSoto State Park. And you can picture that. You're out in the middle of nowhere by yourself and your car breaks down. The record driver who came to get me began telling me his life story, which included that, wait for it, he was possessed as a teen and still under attack now. I had not told him much about me other than I'm a pastor When he finished telling me his story, I told him who I am, and I testified that there's freedom from Satan in Christ. And then I prayed for him. I'm not fussing at God anymore. I'm sure many of you can share similar stories, but it is so easy to forget that no matter what our situation or lot in life, there is something that we can find to give thanks for. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, one last thing I want you to notice, and that's the next verse. Verse 19, do not put out the Spirit's fire. You want to put out the Holy Spirit's fire in your own life? You want to quench it? You want to turn on the sprinkler system and wipe out the fire of God in your life? Then stop rejoicing in the Lord. Stop praying. Stop giving thanks. Nothing will put out the fire quicker. But the opposite is true as well. When you repent and begin to rejoice in the Lord, begin to pray continually and begin to give thanks in all your circumstances, The fire ignites, the spirit flows, and the presence of the Lord is with you. Been there, done that, again and again and again. Be joyful always, pray continually, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Amen. was Dr. Beach with today's message. For more information on this message and this ministry, please visit awordfromthelord.org. There you will find today's message and previously aired messages, where you can listen to them again and share them with friends and family. Awordfromthelord.org has audio archives of Foley Beach's one-minute radio feature and much more. So visit awordfromthelord.org for audio, articles, and information about the ministry. You can find A Word from the Lord on Facebook, and be sure to click the Like button to follow our feed on Facebook. You'll want to be sure to visit Foley's blog at bishopfoleybeach.blogspot.com. 
On the blog, you can read the many articles posted by Dr. Beach. Many of these blog entries are excerpts and full articles published in local publications. You can also follow Foley on Twitter. His Twitter address is twitter.com at Foley Beach. If you have any comments or questions about the program, you can contact Dr. Beach by email at foleybeach at a word from the Lord.org. Again, his email is foleybeach at a word from the Lord.org. You can contact us by mail. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 636, Monroe, Georgia 30655. Our mailing address again is P.O. Box 636, Monroe, Georgia 30655. Whether you send us an email or write to us, we'd love to hear from you. A word from the Lord is made possible by God's grace through the continued prayers and loving financial support from you. We thank you for this opportunity to spread the hope of the gospel of Christ through this ministry. Join us again next time for the next broadcast of A Word from the Lord. For Dr. Beach and everyone here at A Word from the Lord, it is our prayer that you would be seeking a word from the Lord.